I'm Sam Taylor and I'm here with Tim McCourt. Hello. And, hi mate. And we're talking to Aya Suzuki, uh, who is an animator, who is one of the only people I know who's been able to bridge the gap between um, working seriously as an animator uh, in Europe um, and Japan. And uh, she's worked for Hayao Miyazaki at Studio Ghibli. She's worked for, uh, who else have you worked for, Satoshi Kon? You yeah. worked for Madhouse. Madhouse. Uh, you worked at various places in the UK, including Sylvan Chomet. You pretty much got the best CV, I think, of any animator that I've really? ever come across. Yeah, I can't think of anybody who's worked for well, no, so many just, great directors. Well, because I'm usually on one project for. Well, with feature films, I've been on one project for a year or so. So I've got very few projects on my CV, which I think makes my CV come across as a little bit weak, in my opinion, but... No, I mean, you've worked on how many feature films? So it started off with The Illusionist, and... Uh, I've got your CV here, actually. Yeah, <laughs> the you've got The Illusionist, machine. The Dreaming Machine, Wolf, Wolf Children... Children. Uh, Oh, that's the that? wind rises. Okay. The wind rises. And anime mirai, uh, death billiards. And then I worked for another feature film. So that's um, already six. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's, that's a lot. seven. I think for like, how old are you? Twenty nine. I'm thirty now. I think for a thirty year old, six feature films yeah. across two continents is pretty good. Yeah. Uh, I, I, well, we'll touch this later on, I guess. But for a Japanese animator. For somebody in my 30s now, that's very little. Really? That's really, wow. really little. Why? Like by I the mean, time you're 30, you'll be working on at least, you know, 20, 30. How is that possible? How long is the production for the films in Japan? Not a lot of people. I like to commit myself on one feature film for a long period. Mm. I mean, obviously, for economical reasons, it's financially stable, but. I don't like jumping from studio to studio, switching styles, switching styles. When I get right. involved with a film, I do prefer to stay with that film, um, and I like to get involved. But most Japanese animators don't think that way. Um, there's so many projects, it'll be normal for an animator to be working on three feature films in one go. Really? For how, what, in, from home? Um, they'll allocate, you know, this day I'll come into this studio, oh, really? this day I'll go into wow. that studio, and this, this day I'll work from home. I mean, it's quite normal. And, um, and the studios are completely fine with that? Well, um, uh, there's two ways of con uh, working. I, well, there's three ways, I guess. There's the total freelancing, which is you get paid per shot, per cut. Mm. So therefore, even if there's no loss for the studio at the end of the day, even if that person hasn't worked for a week. Right. You know, that person is going to get paid per cut that that person completes, so there's no loss. So they can, the, re the reason why animators can work on so many projects in one go is because of that. Right. And there's the other one which is kind of like, um, they call it a contract, but a lot of the times a contract doesn't exist, but they'll give you a monthly salary. Right. And that will pretty much be saying, I will work on this project exclusively and only this project, mm. um, which I usually do. Okay. A lot of animators cheat the system 
they say, I'll work on this project exclusively, but they won't. They'll actually have two contracts. Really? And a lot of people do that. I prefer not to because I like to sleep at night. <laughs> right. And so they would they would <clears throat> work in one place and then go home and then... Yeah, work. some people work during the day in one studio and at night they'll work at another studio. And that's on site, they're actually in the studio, they're going into the other studio. Um, yeah, yeah, you're, you do pretty much have to be in the studio, they don't really force you to, but if you're on a salary, you... But if you're turning up to work at like midnight or 8 o'clock, do they don't mind? No, 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 wow. there's no working hours, oh, okay. even if you get, you know, the salary kind of thing. Wow, that is incredible. So there's just somebody on the door and they'll let you in? Oh, the studios are 24 hours anyway. So there's there's always people in the studio. Like even production assistants uh, arrive after lunch. Wow. Um, and is this across the board at every studio? In yeah. Japan? And a lot of animators prefer to arrive late in the evening and work overnight and go home in the morning. Right. Um, I used to arrive around lunchtime and then go home. You know, sometimes at midnight or something like that. Wow, that's incredible. And if it, if an animator is doing the two studio thing, they're not supposed to, but they do. <laughs> but are they still good animators? Are they still turning out decent work? The the reason a lot of um, you the thing is they are slow animators. Of course, you yeah. can't produce that yeah much quantity. Um, but a lot of the times they're really, really good animators, so therefore studios would kind of pretend not to look at it. Right. You know, <coughs> but because they're producing good work, then, you know, the producers will be like, okay, this person, we'll have to let them off. Because there's so many projects, mm. Mm. Um, animators are almost in a more advantageous position. Right. Really? I'd say so, yeah. If you're a very good animator. You don't have to be a good animator, to be honest, in Japan. You can be quite average and you'll be able to get decent work. Because really? there's just so many projects. Right, okay. Um, and what's the money like? Is it? Is it? Um, another reason why I like to be contracted with a monthly salary is because it's good. The salary is not bad. Uh, whereas if you're working per shot, it's awful. You can't pay your rent. Okay. Well, I can't at least because I can't work at the pace of an average and TV series animator. And you were a fast animator at work to you before. Well, in the UK, maybe in the commercial industry, uh, I guess in film as well, I can work a reasonable speed now. But that was after I worked in Japan. Um, mm. But I'm a very slow animator in Japan because I can't... I mean, the maximum I can knock out is, what, seven, eight cuts per month? And what is that in terms of... Is that seven, eight shots? Yeah, uh, shots, sorry. And um, how... what in and terms of seconds? If you're, uh, it depends on the shot, I guess. But you're doing from layout. Mm. And all the characters as well. Yeah, that's that's something that's quite different. To so you. explain layout as it's defined in Japanese animation. Layout, um, it would be the camera, basically. So you get a storyboard. You, you've seen Miyazaki's uh, storyboard books. They're quite so, detailed. Yeah, you get that. But um, not all directors draw 
as detailed. Some um, directors aren't even drawers, so they'll be stickmen sometimes. Mm. Um, and then you receive that, you have a meeting with the director and the animation director. The director will explain to you how he wants the scene to be, and then you'll start drawing out the layout from the storyboard. So mm. what I usually do is I blow up the storyboard and I start by tracing it, trying to get a feel for it. And I'll think to myself, okay, so the camera, how am I going to work the camera here? So if there's a camera move, you have to work it out at layout stage as well. And the perspective and where's the eye level. Um, that's a skill that I did not have when I went to Japan. I didn't think that I needed that as an animator. And you don't need that as an animator in the UK or Europe. No. Or was you shocked when, did you know that when you entered into the industry in Japan? That not really. You expected no. that. So was you shitting yourself the first time they presented what you was, or something like that to do? What was interesting is that uh, Satoshi Kon does all his layouts. Oh really? Have you seen his storyboards? Yeah, I've got the, uh, the Tokyo, the Tokyo God. Godfather yeah. one. Yeah. So I think... I think it was from Tokyo Godfathers. He's he he got fed up a little bit, and of correcting animators' layouts. Mm. And he just thought, I might as well destroy it myself if mm. I'm just going to correct everything. Yeah, it'll be faster that way. And this way, animators can really focus on animating. And the thing is, most animators do prefer animating than doing layouts. Yeah. So. Um, it, it was his way of saying, look, you can freely animate now. Yeah. Um, and so, because my first job in Japan was for Satoshi Kon, I didn't have to do layouts. He had done right. it all for me. Okay. Well, he did it for all the scenes. So, it wasn't too much of a problem. But after that, I had problems, big time. I yeah. really didn't understand. like, Because you have to start thinking about, really, technically about lenses. Mm. Like, what kind of lens am I using? I don't know anything about lenses, you know? <laughs> yeah. So and how do people learn this stuff? I mean, like, what's the way which people come up uh, in animation? I think... Because uh, um, there's, there's not big animation schools in the way that there are, like, no. CalArts or Goblin. Animators in Japan pretty much learn their craft in the job, I'd say, mm. and from their seniors. And the animation director and the director pretty yeah. much go over all your drawings anyway, like physically. They'll draw, and they'll stick another piece of paper on, and they'll draw all over it saying, oh, this, is, this should be the camera, this should be the perspective, this is the eye level. Mm. And so you learn from the corrections, yeah, I'd okay. say. Yeah. And then you learn by asking around. I mean, there are you know, famous celebrity, almost celebrity-like animators in Japan, and they've got that status for a reason. And you go ask them, like, questions, and they're always happy to help out. Mm, that's and, nice. And does their position in the company and their pay grade reflect no, how good they are? not at all. Really? Wow. Because so. I was getting paid, a I think I was getting paid exactly the same as some of these guys as well, which oh. I didn't deserve, but I'm not going to start negotiating no. the pay down. I mean, it's a yeah. weird position to be in. So, so when you went in, when you were working uh, for Satoshi Kon, was that uh, as a junior animator? What was that? No, animator. Just animator. And do they have those designations, junior, senior? No. Um, what they'll do is they'll probably... <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so 
once the storyboards are completed, a chunk of it, I'm not quite sure. I think it's the director who starts snipping it up, like, so he'll cut it from, okay, these scenes are all flowing very well, so he'll cut it, right. yeah, like a bunch of 10 scenes, or sometimes it's like five scenes, sometimes mm. it's 50 if it's an action scene, and he'll cut it all up. And then he'll think, okay, so this animator's good at action scenes, so let's give him the 50 scenes of action. Mm. And then this animator's good at children, so this scene, kids are running around, so let's read to And are they animator. always sequential? Yes. Okay. It's not, you, you have to work on a bunch of scenes or sequential scenes. Okay. Um, and that can vary from around about five scenes to sometimes it can go up to 70 in one go. 70? 70 scenes, yeah. Bloody. And how long does that take somebody? On a feature film, an animator is required to complete 10, ten scenes per month if you're on a salary. Right. Um, but you said you're doing seven, is that right? Yeah. Okay. Seven or eight, and that was okay. the maximum that I was reaching towards the end. Okay. Before that, it was even less. But what, um, so in a week, how much seconds do you have to get through? It depends. It's, so it's weird really difficult to calculate that. Because there's also some, I mean, some weeks you must get a scene which has got three characters in it. So, yeah, exactly. Mm. Like. So, 10 scenes, you balance it out yourself. You, mm. This is another thing which I didn't have was my own management skills in anima as an animator. Right. So if, you're, if you've got a bunch of like 20 scenes, there's going to be mm. a scene where there's nothing moving except for a blink. Right, right. So, but that's counted as a scene. So yeah. basically, if you've got a complicated scene with 20 characters all moving and effects mm. going on, that will take you a long time. That will probably mm. take you half a month, maybe. Yeah. But you balance it out with those simple scenes. Right, okay, okay. So, so it's not like we need 10 scenes from you mm. um, because it's the end of the month kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. They'll give you a bunch of scenes, like 50 scenes, and they'll say, okay, see you in five months' time. Right, right, right. So, I mean, like, in, in if it was like, because I know, like, roughly what, you're expected to kind of produce in the commercials industry in London. But I wonder, it's definitely more in Japan. So if you had like two characters in a shot mm. uh, and it was like five seconds, if you got that done in a week, would that be considered bad in Japan? Mm, I would consider that quite slow. Okay. If it's two characters in a scene, then probably... It, it depends on what they're doing yeah, and yeah. how long the scene is, but you're saying five seconds and... Let's say it's just normal acting. <coughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know what that is, but it's not over the top action or anything. And like it's not that. a shot like looking down on them. Or no. It's not like oh, then an animator would probably really. just finish that in one day or something. Like that. Really? <laughs> I saw a shot wow. on your show reel where you were. The angle was quite unusual. Yeah, right. yeah. it was on you, death billiards, right? Death on death billiards, yeah. yeah. And you were, uh, and it was almost like a. The camera was like I don't know three meters above them, looking down two yeah. characters walking or running, fighting, 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 yeah, yeah. fighting through a room. Um, and uh, I mean that to me would be complicated. I mean something like that would take a little bit longer, right? Um, I got those. 
basically you hand out a layout with a rough animation on it, kind of uh, blocking it out mm -hmm. where the characters are going to be and see and show the camera path because you have yeah. to animate the camera path as well. And you hand that into the director and animation director. So it goes to the director, animation director, and then the director's assistant or something like that. Sometimes, so, uh, sometimes it's only the two. And then it comes back to you with corrections and you start animating it, right? Right. So with a complicated scene like that, a lot of the times the director and animation director find it very difficult to correct as well, obviously, right. because it's a complicated scene. Yeah. So as an animator, you tend to hand out a lot of scenes to them and then you only get the easier ones back right, because okay. it's easier for them to um, correct. And that scene in particular in Death Billiards with the camera from above and them fighting, it was very difficult because the fighting sequence wasn't even storyboarded. Uh, yeah. There was only the first drawing and the last drawing in the storyboards. Wow. So I had to choreograph the battle scene. So that scene was kind of a boomerang shot where I had to kind of communicate with the director and animation mm. director mm. how we're going to choreograph it and how the camera is going to track them and everything. And it took a while, that process, the layout process. Mm. And because I got the scene really late um, towards the deadline, I, ha I was told, okay, you've got a day and a half to animate it. Whoa. And it was like, I had to do it. <laughs> and, <you laughs> so, and I did it. So, so the actual animation itself was done in a day and a half, but the actual uh, layouting, the planning took maybe three days altogether but even then so the whole the whole sequence that that shot took under a week to to do oh definitely to, to just to the uh and that's at a tie down stage yeah. not using just rough animation mm. but that's not in between not that's in between trend. but that scene didn't have many in-betweens because it was an action scene right right so it was keyed pretty much on twos and then the in-betweens I had to rough out anyway because you know it's an action scene. Um, yeah. It's not a straight ahead in-betweening. So it was tough. I didn't sleep. Wow, really? At all? Uh, one night I didn't sleep. I worked throughout and then I went home, slept a little and then came back to work and I finished it in a couple of hours. Sometimes you just need a bit of sleep I think before you, you have an, it. I think you need an hour. Like I think there's an there's, hour. There's, I need mean, like seven. No, I, I mean not like every night you need an hour. Right, right, but, right. Like, uh, but yeah, like there's been times where I've where I've had to leave an all nighter, but I've got to go and curl up on a sofa somewhere for uh, right, yeah, for an hour. Yeah. To be remotely functional the next day. Yeah, yeah. Be able to do stuff, but um, but that's yeah, that's pretty nuts. That's so that sequence the. Um, uh, there's a really cool bit um, on your reel from that sequence where they're having a fight with pool cue, I think, and yeah. Uh, yeah. billiards cues. Yeah, he gets the uh, he gets the cue inside his mouth and oh, yeah. shot him yeah. inside the mouth as he like um, mm. kicks him over or whatever, knocks him over. Uh, did you come up with that? No, not me. Okay. That that was quite specifically storyboarded. Okay, actually. so cool. That was a great idea. I've always is is annoying. Like I've always wanted to do something shot from inside somebody's mouth. There's, I think Peter Chung did that. I've seen it, it a couple of times. Yeah. As well, yeah. I've only ever seen it in animation though. Uh, Never seen it in live filmmaking. I've seen it in yeah. There's that famous shot in um, oh man, 
uh, Little Shop of Horrors and Bill Murray's in The Dentist and Steve Martin's like doing some dentistry in him and it's shot from the inside of his mouth. Okay. And if, I was watching it quite recently and I, even then I was like, how the hell did they, Is it, they do it? It's probably like a fake mouth. Right? Yeah, yeah, but it looks amazing because I think even the tongue's moving. Wow. And it looks great. Anyway, yeah. Little Shop of Horrors. Wicked. Um, so what do you think of Little Shop of Horrors? I, I haven't seen it. <laughs> oh, I really want to see it now. I wish um, I had it for reference. Yeah, I don't think I've seen it. But an, another like amazing thing about uh, the little shop of magic uh, about that <laughs> that sequence you did in um, uh, Death Billiards is that like and one thing I just because I, I remember talking to Wes about um, uh, you telling him about how you do it and he was saying yeah they like in Japan you have to do layouts and also effects animation as well whereas yeah. that is so like. I don't know, but, you know, you always hear in America and to, even in London, like, you, there are people who are just jobbing effects animators mm -hmm. and, you, and there's a sequence in that where, like, uh, mirror, uh, glass smashes and all this water comes out of, like, a mm -hmm. big kind of um, some giant fish tank or something and you would have had to have done that, all that and, like, the aeroplane, there's, like, an aeroplane going above mm -hmm. and all this kind of stuff and, uh, yeah, I find that amazing that in Japan you're just expected to just be able to you, do everything. You have to be a generalist, I guess. Yeah. In a lot of ways. Um, yes, but you you do tend to. You you are as an animator. They will remember you as okay. This person. You you do have to, to be a generalist. Yes, that's right. Because you had to do the layouts. You had to do the characters. You had to work out the camera, and you have to do the effects as well. Mm. Um, you do generally have to be. A generalist mm. but every animator has their strong kind of yeah uh, doing and I'm, they might get pigeonholed I'm, into that yeah kind of thing, right? and I I'm a I'm a better character animator I'd say right um, death billiards was something in particular that I did it's funded by the government by the way really, really? and it's death billiards. <laughs> yes <laughs> wow it's it's um it's a new government uh, project, uh, young animators training project. So if you're under a certain age and you've only got a certain amount of experience, you can get onto it. Oh wow! And basically, you're supposed to be given scenes that are quite challenging. Um, That's so incredible. I jumped onto it because I I can't I coming from Europe. I just couldn't do effects. Yeah. And I uh, my layouts were so weak, and I knew it. Um, yeah. My character animation people praise, but other than that, I just couldn't do. Which in, in Japan is a little bit useless, I have right. to say. Um, I mean, it's not useless. That's it looks great. I mean, like we were all sort of we in the studio great, looking great, at it, just going, yeah. "Fucking!" It was one of those ones where it's I, all I animated by girls, by the way. Definitely, really? the entire team, the young animators. Wow. There was six of us, I think, and we were all girls. And we're allowed up to three senior animators as kind of mentors and supervisors. Mm. And the senior animators were all guys. Those were guys, yes. So does that mean that there's a change in... Definitely. Yeah, I think so there's, there's a lot more girls coming up now. There's more female animators now. I saw the statistics. Uh, there was a research done in Japan and like, they had it all separated into animators in 20s, 30s, 40s and 50s. And I think... 30, 40, and 50, there's more men. Mm. But then, when it comes to animators in their 30s, it starts to balance out. And animators in their 20s, there's more women than there wow. are men. 
really. That's great. But I, mean, I, I think it's also a reflection of female animators quitting. <laughs> right, okay. Retiring yeah. quite soon, uh, uh, simply right, because okay. of getting married. Okay. Yeah. Uh, having um, kids and things. Yeah. Right, okay. Mm, that's quite interesting. But yeah, I think, yeah, generally there's more female animators. Um, there will be more, a lot more female anim animators from now on. That's really weird, because I, I think that, that I've seen uh, more and more female animators uh, coming up now than, than there was before, from what I can tell. Yeah. I feel like in the UK there's all more... All over, yeah. yeah I think it's all over There's more the girls getting into it. But and, I, and it's weird, because I thought it was because of anime. Uh, I uh, thought because, because of, of anime. I oh, right, yeah. uh, and, and manga and Japanese influences. I thought it was because before that, I mean, uh, the way a lot of people get into um, into animations through comic books and comic books in uh, in America and Europe were pretty much dominated by superhero comics, <coughs> which mm. are pretty much directed mainly at guys. And then yes. and there was a lot of cartoons which were very like male centric as well, and even that thing with. Um, I remember what was it? Uh, Brave. Oh no! What, what, no, there was something else. No, it was um, Tangled. Yeah. It, it was called something else beforehand. I think it was, it was called Rapunzel. Like, wasn't it? it was Rapunzel. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then they changed the name to Tangled because they. they I think they said that um, girls would watch movies that were geared towards boys or that were non-gender oh. specific, oh, but right. boys wouldn't watch yeah. gender specific uh, films directed right. at girls. Yeah. So I so I thought that the increase of yeah and and, and I guess that um, uh, with with manga there's a lot of different genres yeah and and it, and it seems like because it's so granular you get certain genres which are directed specifically at girls mm. much more than there is in and in, in, and in the there's West. also um, an age thing that they have animation which are aimed for girls or boys. Of a particular age. Yeah, but I mean, if and if you think about it, the whole picture: kids don't graduate from animation, anime at all, because there's always something that is aimed for them at mm. that particular time. Mm. Yeah. So but it seems it seems like within manga, like there's a million different niches. If you want yeah. to be into gay bowling manga, like mm. you know, there's there's yeah, there's, there's a whole selection for you. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, but yeah, so I always thought that 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 the that the reason that in you know, over here, the reason a lot more girls were getting into it was because of anime, but I mean, I guess if it's happening in Japan, then that's yeah, just I, generally I think, across the board happening. I mean, the thing is, there's always been a big market for um, animation for girls in general, but I think what, I think Miyazaki has a lot to do with, especially now, the girls yeah. who are turning in their late 20s, and there's so many female animators in their late 20s. Um, I did an interview, because it's a government project, we're interviewed, uh, the young animators are interviewed, mm. um, asked uh, about why we became animators as research, as well as they put the interview online as well. And I think more than half, so there's six girls and we're all in our 20s, um, we're all similar age, 25 to, I was 29 at that point I think, and pretty much more than half of us said, oh, it was definitely Miyazaki's... Right, oh, he always says kind of strong young women coming female out yeah. and all these films. And also, um, you know, it became kind of quite a norm when I was a kid to see making-off footage of a Miyazaki film on TV quite often. 
Like the well. one where he's making noodles for the whole studio. Yeah. <laughs> <Four> <laughs> did, did you ever do that when you were there? That, that sells it though, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, he, he didn't do it whilst I was there because... The um, cameras weren't on. <laughs> well, it's got to do with his age as well. Right, okay. He does go home. Mm. Um, he does go home late, but he did go home. He started night. to go home at 12 o'clock now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 11, Right. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I, I was going to... I, I was just going to sort of ask you um, uh, just a little bit about how you got into the industry in Japan. So uh, so you were born in Japan, is that right? Yes. And then you moved over to the UK when you were... Three. Three. And you lived here for a bit and then you went back to Japan to high school. Um, no, I, just I was up. still in elementary school. So I was eight when I moved back okay. to Japan. And then I moved uh, out of Japan at 15 or 16. And I was in the US for one year and then I returned to the UK. And then, you know, I finished my A-levels and I went to art college. I wanted to do animation. I don't like to say it, but yes, Miyazaki did influence me to get into it. I was really into it. But also Evangelion was a big mm. influence as well because Evangelion was huge in my teens. Um, but I also was quite because i was in the uk i saw a lot of mixture of films like fantasia was one of my favorite films as a kid as well so the, i did have to the, the original one yes <laughs> um and then so i always wanted to be an animator or graphic novel artist because i like to draw as well um, and then I went to art college studied animation and then i ended up landing a job for sylvan chalet Mm. Um, you, you guys actually studied together, didn't you? Yeah, I, I mean, I got me my first job, actually. Uh, I am? Um, yeah, eternally grateful for, uh, for that. Like, straight out of university, uh, I had turned up at, um, when we were in Bournemouth in our third year. Uh, we were, no, we were in our second year, you were in the oh, third, going third, into third, third year. year. Um, and you joined and in the third year? Yeah, I was so doing, before that, a foundation degree okay. at another uni. Right. And then I mean, you was doing I, animation on that, of course. I was doing animation, and then I wanted to specialise in 2D at the end of the day. Um, and then Bournemouth was quite strong in 2D at that mm. time. So I just decided to do my final year. I think it was, it was interesting how you got your... Um, how you got to meet Sylvain Chomet for the first time. Yeah, I met him in Japan. Really? Enough. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Because, I mean, at that point, I was like, after finishing two years of uni, I had no idea how to get into the industry. And doing a BA was one of the reasons um, why, uh, well, I did a BA just because I didn't know how to get into the industry. I I really desperately wanted to get into the industry, but you just don't know, you don't have the means to get into it. And then I just did um, a voluntary uh, voluntary work for the Hiroshima Animation Festival. Mm -hmm. And Sylvain Chomet, Richard Williams, Michael DeDoctorwit were all guests there that year. Takahata as well. And then uh, I was there for a week. The festival itself goes on for a week and I was there for the entire week as a kind of helper and uh, interpreter. Mm. And then the people at the office of the festival knew that I studied animation and they're really helpful. So they were just like, oh, Richard Williams needs an interpreter, you, you can, you can <laughs> really? help him out. 
Wow. And then Michael did not do it, needed help. And then Sylvan every now and then needed help. Mm. So that's how I met him. And then he told me about how he's going to have a studio in the UK to make his next feature film. And then, like, it was literally me, him, Sylvan, and then Richard Williams talking. And basically, Richard Williams had recommended uh, students from Bournemouth. Really? Yeah. And wow. then I was just like, hey, I'm going there uh, from the summer. Wow. So you, did you have a job when you turned up at Bournemouth? No, it wasn't a guaranteed job at all because okay. he hadn't seen my okay. portfolio. Right. But had you had a con did you have contact information? From uh, yeah, he gave me um, his contact details because I said I'm going to be at Bournemouth. So it mm. was his way of getting contact with Bournemouth. Oh, really? Me. Wow. So, so you're responsible for all those dudes from Bournemouth going there. I think there was 14 of us or something in the end got a yeah. job up there. And wow. It, was all it, wasn't, it wow. wasn't a bad deal, I think. But... Uh, I was by email in touch with him and he wanted to get in touch with the uni, he wanted to see portfolios and I was just like, okay, so what is it that you want to see in a portfolio? And he just said, life drawing, really strong life drawing. And then I went to life drawing religiously after that and then I presented my portfolio to him and he liked it. He said that's exactly what he wanted to see and then mm. he says, come along and I joined as soon as I graduated. Wow, that is amazing. So, so you work for... Three years? Or four, well, you, you were I was there four years. Four years, yeah. yeah. So you, you worked for four years uh, in, uh, in Edinburgh. When you first started up, there was only like six people there or something. There was, there was three people. Right. Well, so you were there right from the beginning. Yeah, definitely. So, because we weren't even working on The Illusionist to start off with, we were doing a commercial and then we did a pilot for um, these guys. TV series. For a TV series, it, it hasn't been made. There's only a pilot available. Um, what was that? Is it online anywhere? It's on YouTube. Really? It's called The Clan. Yeah, Clan. but uh, it's not under the name of Clan. You can find it. Um, uh, I'll send you a link. Yeah, okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll post it as a link when we post yeah. the podcast. And, and so it took a while for The Illusionist to kick off. But so, yeah, I was there for maybe three weeks doing help on other stuff and then finally the storyboarding for The Illusionist started off. So what was your involvement from you was doing storyboarding design? So storyboarding and then for the storyboards there were no character designs available so me and Laurent, uh, who's another, who's one of the uh, supervising Laurent animators. Laurent Kircher. Yeah. He was the supervising animator for Tati. Um, and so we'd be storyboarding and then we'd read the script and then we'd storyboard it and a lot of the times there were no character designs so we'd just knock something up and get it checked with Sylvan and all that and then when Alice appeared I was taking off the storyboards and then I was just designing her every day Was she not part of the original script then? No, she was Oh right Of, of course oh, yeah, yeah. She But was. she only appears later in the film mm. Right, right, right Yeah, so. yeah. So you, you storyboarded almost from page one and walked oh, through it. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's how we did it. Mm. Yeah, that was a long process. I think that was that really took two years, two and a half years. I really, think. To, yeah. to storyboard the whole film? Yeah, I was, I was doing that as well. So when I first started up, we were doing that, doing that quite, I mean, probably the most elaborate animatic mm. that I've ever worked on. It was, wow. it was almost key poses at the end. Right. Mm. Um, wow. yeah, and then really uh, animation had to start before we even finished the storyboards. Yeah. 
So by the time the, sh the animators started, I was still uh, storyboarding. Wow. Mm. And, then you, and then you were one of the supervising animators on Alice. I, I didn't, well, I supervised her model, but I wasn't the supervising animator. Okay. I was too... But well, did you go into it, you know, when you started actually, when it got to the animation, was you an animator straight away on the project? No, uh, for a while I was the kind of, uh, I guess I was the kind of supervising assistant animator. Okay. So all the animation would come to me and yeah. I'd uh, correct the models and do some key poses for the assistants. Okay. And then it'll be handed out to the assistants because right. she, her face is so difficult to capture. But by that time I had been working on Alice for two years. So, really? you know, I knew the model fairly mm -hmm. well, but it kept on changing. So it didn't make that much difference. <laughs> it was really difficult for me as well. Um, but I have to say like all the animators were drawing her differently. So I had to put all the animation in one model. Yeah, and there was there was quite a lot of that. I think because during that uh, during that storyboarding uh, process, uh, the model was being changed for both yeah. characters. Mm -hmm. So we were kind of al almost animating it, but like I think if you were to look at that storyboard now, I don't know if it's been released on any of the DVDs, uh -huh. but mm, yeah, I mean yeah. I think his head is like you know half the size of his torso. Oh right. Uh, what originally? At the beginning, and right. then it kind of goes down and. Mm. It goes up, and she goes through a period of looking quite Asian, and then goes back to mm. looking yeah, quite and then, Asian. And then she looks French, and then she looks. Yeah, kind of, yeah. But she never looked Scottish. That's the thing <laughs> until the end. She never sounded Scottish. <laughs> yeah, she was. She was talking Gaelic. Oh, but isn't there a bit where she's singing a French song where she's like? No, no, she's speaking Gaelic. It's just oh, really? like you, like you never yeah. really hear Gaelic unless you oh, right, right. have like that Scottish TV channel that you only get in. But right. they did get a proper Gaelic speaker yeah. too. Oh, really? I'm so sure there's a the thing where she's like, she's like cleaning something and she's singing a song and it sounded like a French song. Yeah, it's, but it's got, it, it's a, yeah, it's a weird uh, language. Oh, okay. It's a, it's something that like, you, you know, I'd never heard before really until I, until right, I went right, to Scotland. Right. Okay. Um, anyway, so you, um, so you uh, finished on The Illusionist and then you were I was at home you were in out. Surrey yeah. for, God, how long? Uh, almost six months, maybe. Mm -hmm. But you and was I, an animator on The Illusionist as well? Yeah, I was okay. an animator. By the end of it, kind of. Well, I kind of, uh, yeah. Yeah, I switched to animation. Uh, at the end of the day, they ran out of people to animate. <laughs> I mean... Um, you were animating most of the time I was there, I think for a good year I was just doing corrections, but I did ask, can I animate? Because right. at the end of the day, I, I want to be an animator. Can yeah. you give me some scenes? And then I started on some scenes, and then Sylvan liked it, and Paul liked it. And Paul Dutton, who was the assistant director, who is an excellent guy, by the way. Yeah. And animation director for The Illusionist. And then it was like, we had to get the animation finished. So they put me off the model correction which was very time consuming and then they put me full time animator after that just to finish the animation. Mm. So yeah. Okay. So, so yeah, so, so, so yeah you were you were down in Croydon for uh, uh in Surrey for good six, seven months mm. or so. Well, altogether it was about eight months maybe. And 
first of all, it was kind of nice not to work, and then after a while, I thought, crap, I need to find some work. But I just didn't know how to get into the London industry at all. And nobody knew me, obviously, in London. Uh, and then I started applying for jobs here and there, didn't get them. But did you really want to get a job in London at that yeah. stage? Oh, right, okay. I didn't yeah, realize. I wouldn't have minded. Um, and then I think I kind of, all the job offers kind of came at the same time. But this, this is for Japan? Uh, no, uh, I applied for places in London, in France, because a lot of people went to Paris, because there was a lot of work for Paris, in Paris at that point for 2D animators. And then I applied for work in Tokyo as well. And then um, I think in Japan I sent about five, six applications. And then the one person who got back to me was Satoshi Kon. Really? Wow. All the other people didn't. It's, it's interesting how you got to And know. I applied for in between other than that, by the way. Really? And, and it's Satoshi the only Kong. place that I applied for animation. And I thought, I'm just going to send my work anyway because I'm sending my work everywhere. It was just another copy and paste email and I thought... And what do you think he specifically responded to you? I think because he thought it was interesting. He Um, thought it was interesting that you were somebody who'd grown up over here or spent some time working over here. Well, he saw my showreel and portfolio and apparently he said he liked the work that Mm -hmm. he saw and that he could see me animating on his particular film mm. at that point so therefore he got in touch with me and but uh, through his production assistant but it was kind of a vague email saying you know we are interested uh, we'd like to meet you but it didn't say how we're going to do it right so i was i suggested you know i'm really i, I kind of made it very 100 percent clear i want to do this if you're interested i really really want to do this because i like Satoshi Kon films and they responded quite clearly the next time saying okay we can try a Skype meeting we'll send you some test scenes and then let's see let's take it from there let's see how if it works Mm. because we don't know how you work over there yeah and then if it works then we could probably send you more work and then it was kind of like let's see how this goes first of all so they sent you a test so they sent me a test, which was seven scenes. You saw the box. So really? They sent me a box that big, so heavy. I went to Aya's house, a massive box full of paper sitting in a hallway, which oh you got from God. Japan. They could have just sent that digitally to me, but because Japan is such a... Yeah. The animation industry is just so paper-based. What, what was it? Like, the <clears throat> layouts and... It was the storyboards and all the model sheets, character sheets. So you got sent a box of Satoshi Kon's storyboards? Yeah. Oh, you should have said, actually, I'm not going to work on this. <laughs> I'm just going to keep it all. Going to sell uh, this. Yeah, yeah, eBay it. Or just, uh, Make the same have you still got that stuff? Yeah. <laughs> so mm. amazing. Wow. Anyway, go on, sorry. And then um, it was... Because an animation test, right, they said to me, we'd like to test you. Yeah. If you get an animation test, you'd expect it to be one scene, right? Just a short scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were seven scenes long. Oh my God. <laughs> and it was a sequence on the film. And, and this is unpaid? The thing is, I thought it was unpaid. But yeah. when I completed the test, they yeah. paid me. Oh, that's good. Uh, the, okay. the and was that they use those scenes? Um, yes. Okay. okay, so it was like... So it, it yeah. wasn't a test in terms of... 
um, an exam or anything. Mm. For them, they meant a test as in... Like a trial. Yeah, or, yeah, for, yeah, they meant as in a trial, but I thought it was a test test. But um, So they were going to pay you either way? Yeah, whichever okay. way. Okay. And you had, so you had a Skype conversation with Satoshi Connor? Yeah. Really? And he was... Yeah, it's a little bit difficult because you know how... Even though you've got the video footage, it feels a Did you record it? I hate Skype so much. Did you record the... No. Oh. I didn't... I <laughs> can, can you record? Is yeah, I think so. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure yeah. there's a way of doing it. Yeah. Wow, so that must have been it was surreal. kind of like... Um, I remember saying, so do I do background layouts? And he goes, no, you don't have to do background layouts. You can start on the rough animation. Mm. I was just like, okay. I was just like, what about cleanup? And he goes... What is cleanup? <laughs> we just animate. What did you say? You film model in Japanese. You said cleanup. Like yeah, cleanup, as in cleanup. I said okay. cleanup. And that's not what they call it in Japanese. No, they call it um, doga, which is means in betweens. But apparently that includes cleanup as well. Right, so okay. I was told you don't have to do that. So I did this. Uh, I did the seven scenes. Basically, knocked out the roughs. I mean, some of the scenes had like fifteen characters in them. So it was it was a tough test, I have to say. I thought, yeah. what are they thinking? And um, did you feel like the work that you did on the Illusionist prepared you for that? Could you have gone and done those things before you'd done that? Done the Illusionist. I don't think I could have done it as quickly, right? And as um, fearlessly, if you know what I mean. Did, did um, they expect you to deliver it in a certain time? The test. They or? didn't give me anything. Okay. Didn't so mind or anything. How long did that take you then? Uh, the roughs took me about 10 days okay. for seven scenes and for them that it's was mental. very quick. That, and what, uh, how long <clears throat> was the seven scenes in time? Two minutes? Two minutes in 10 or days? a minute and a half or something like that. In but, 10 days? But posing, it's just What's blocking out. Okay. So it didn't take me that long. Do you, do you 15 know? characters? Some of them, yeah. But I didn't move them all, that's the thing. Right, right, like, right. I use the Hitchcock effect where right. I'd only mo move a certain amount of birds and then all the birds look as though they're moving. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So, uh, so do you animate, like, those, those roughs that you sent through, were they rougher than a lot of Japanese animators? Yeah, really animate? rough. Because really really I've seen a few art books um, from Gainax and, and, uh, and various other Japanese animation companies and... I've never seen anything really rough. I don't know whether that's they're not showing the they, rough they stuff. They do or... animators do work rough, but when they hand it in, they'll make sure that it's pretty much a tie down, okay. and then the roughs they'll just throw away or something like that. So in the final kind of archive, you'll never see it because okay. it never left the animator's hand. I think but but people do do sketches. Yeah, yeah, stuff. definitely. But and and maybe just for people who are listening, who might not necessarily mean a, know what a tie down is like. How would you describe that? It's like a, a sort of rough on model. Um, I would say a tie down is the state of animation. A tie down animation is the state where it is before you hand it into the cleanup artist. So okay. just before cleanup. So it's completely on model and yes, okay. and very clean, and so the cleanup artist can just trace it. And would that One, include shadows as well? Yeah. Okay. Shadows and highlights. But in Japan, 
you don't, you can't really, you're not supposed to rely on assistance because there are no such thing as real assistance. They're, okay. they're trace artists and maintainers. Okay. Um, um, uh, one of the questions I wanted to ask was, um, you know, like you've got the kind of rare uh, perspective of having worked on a European uh, feature and Japanese and like, which do you prefer? Like what's the kind of, or, or what's Ooh. more efficient, you know? Because I think whenever people work in an industry, you know, it, you always see the problems and you think, oh, if only it was done this way or that way. And then because the working method is quite different mm. uh, to maybe like Western production to Eastern, uh, like what do you think is more efficient or which do you prefer naturally kind of working in? I mean, uh, like in terms of my preference, I don't really have a preference uh, between like which country am I working or would you prefer. I, I tend to choose my preference depending on the project. Right, okay. Or the director. Uh, or the director, yeah. And obviously the environment of the studio as well. But do, do, does um, the production uh, organisation not uh, is more similar in Japan? There's more, of a, or does it really vary from studio to studio? Um, yeah, that's something I wanted to ask as well. The, like how, are the systems, how are the different studios different? The systems are pretty much exactly the same. Okay. In the process of animation, to a point where the dope sheets are exactly the same. Right. Um, I think they're Miyazaki's designs. Oh, really? Yeah. Really? And then the, the whole entire, industry adopted Yeah, them. I wow. think it's the one that he invented when he was in his 20s or something like that. <laughs> That's a rumour. Um, but amazing. I think it's true. Um, and then uh, there's, you know how you've got animation language where, you know, tie down is oh, a yeah, word that yeah. nobody knows and then rough, R-U-F. Oh, yeah, yeah. Know, and stuff like that. Um, so the animation industry has its own uh, language almost um, and that's pretty much uh, the same all over Japan and the good thing is um, is because it's so um, coordinated in that manner mm. wh whatever studio you go to you're not learning that yeah, from yeah, the beginning yeah. you, it's, but when you first turned up there you must have had to learn that stuff quite quickly yeah um, but it was quite good for me, because I had it quite easy because Satoshi Kon's really, really um, open towards... Because I used to ask him, like, how do I dope sheet this kind of thing? Because <laughs> yeah. there'd be nobody in the studio. Because I, I used to arrive at the studio around 11 or so, right. and it would be empty. To a point where I couldn't get into the studio on my first day because I arrived at lunchtime. Right. And people roll in around 2 or 3. Right. And so, and sometimes Satoshi Kon's in at lunchtime and he's the only person who I can ask. That's amazing. So I'll be like, uh, how do I do lip syncing here when I have no audio? <laughs> what, what a great teacher. Yeah, and he teaches at, he used to teach at uni as well. Really? Yeah, he used to be a lecturer. Wow. So he was always open towards teaching. But um, do, do you think that the, um, the system in Japan is more efficient than the European production you worked on? Um, efficient, yes, but mm. I almost think that sometimes that can get in the way of creativity sometimes. Okay. I think it's really difficult to get out from the box. 
box. Yeah. You, know what I mean? you have to think within the box when you've got such a rigid system. Yeah. And you can't go outside of it, even though mm. if you want to, because the way that studios work in Japan, like a Ghibli film is never 100%, never 100% made in Ghibli. Oh, really? Like the in betweenings goes to Madhouse a lot of the times. So oh, right. This right. studio, like all over Japan, it goes, and it goes to Korea now. Really? They if, started outsourcing. If you're not, they didn't do that for you. I think they were the first ones to outsource, weren't they? I remember like I remember like seeing a making of of, and I'm it might have been Spirited Away or something, but Miyazaki was like, he was it's, getting fed up with what someone said, and he was like, oh, what should we just start sending it all to Korea? And like he was, he, it seemed like he was really not into that idea. For a while, Ghibli kept everything within Japan, but I think. I'm not quite sure if it was from Spirited Away or Princess Monarchy, they started outsourcing. I really do. Okay. But if you look at Satoshi Kon's films, the in-betweening, I mean, the credits are all Korean names. Oh, right? okay, okay. So, yeah. Um, but what, what was I talking about? Sorry. Um, uh, we were talking about, like, the, yeah, know, so the lack of creative, or not lack of, but... The, it, it can be a bit of a... It can get away in the way of creativity because if you start doing something really weird and quirky, then when it's outsourced, you pretty much can't outsource it. And right, that's, okay, that's yeah. kind of, I think that's my own theory, by the way, of why Japan has been so late with moving into digital. Right, okay. Because yeah, yeah. if one studio starts working with a Cintiq and TV Paint or Flash or something like that, how are you going to outsource the in-between right, right, right. in Japan? Mm. You know, maybe in Korea or China they'll be able to deal with it. But how are you going to outsource animation, which is always done as well? How are you going to send animation for an episode So the, indus- the indus- industry is very integrated, basically. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, all those companies are working mm. together. Yeah, that's interesting because uh, yeah, I never, never really considered that. There, there are a few, a bunch of animators who are working with Cintiqs that I know of. And uh, they use Flash, TV Paint, and all. But they're kind of considered a bit of a nuisance in a way, because what happens is that when you provide work digitally, animation digitally, the production assistants have to print it out, right. peg it all, That's something crazy, and then in between it, and then they scan, scan it. it back <laughs> again, yeah. Yeah, because there's that. that is it, is it it's, it's the John Lewis commercial all over again. Oh right, yeah. Uh, there's that Iranian guy or something. Who, Bahi. Yeah, where's he based? He's in Austria. And he works digitally, and he works for Japan. Yeah. Right. right yeah, yeah. I so guess they would they would think he's a nuisance if his animation. Um, wasn't so I don't. It's. I mean, a lot of studios have started to accept it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I mean, I guess as you said that they're looking for people. They need people. Yeah. So. So and he's good. Yeah. Let's face it. He's he's brilliant. So, um, it's it's a cost that studios will be willing to pay for Mm. if they can provide the work. It seems like if they're trying to cut costs, wouldn't it make so much more sense to kind of integrate a digital system? Well, uh, then you can have. At the beginning, it it is expensive, isn't it? to get all those machines and also... I also think it's kind of a leap of faith for producers and mm-hmm. for other people. It's like an untested system in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. I mean, it may have been tested in other um, areas, but not mm-hmm. if it's not been tested in Japan. And 
people have to get used to it and there's a learning curve yeah so you don't you don't want to be the one who's like puts that out there in the meeting and like Mm -hmm. you know pushes behind it and if people don't get behind you on that then you're going to lose your job i mean nobody's gonna lose their job for letting people carry on doing stuff on paper yeah yeah, but if you're the one who like makes the company invest in i don't know like is it, it's, it's, it's a big investment to buy like, I don't know, 20 cities in the studio yeah. or something. I, I mean, mean it, may cost you, it may cut costs long term, but... Mm. It, it definitely will, if you investment. think about the yeah. paper and pencils yeah. they actually But yeah, I mean, it, like, if you didn't have to... I mean, how much money do they spend on paper and pencils mm. and okay. scanning, and people scanning on a production? It, it must. I think that must uh, far way out the cost of buying mm. 20 Cintiqs or something. To me as well, it's like... But it's, it's not, not even a matter of 20 Cintiqs, that's the thing, because it will be literally, for a company, it'll be more than 20, it'll yeah, be 50 to like hundreds, yeah, yeah. because but then that means that, that, the whole in-betweening team has to integrate as well. But then once they're bought, they're bought. Like, if you... I reckon it would probably still they have cost... quite a long shelf life. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're goers, aren't they? Yeah, I've got one. I've got a uh, graphics tablet I'm just selling on eBay. Are you I, selling it? Yeah. Do you want it? No. <laughs> 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 I've got one, but... Uh, uh, it's, I'm, I'm selling it for... Uh, I'm, yeah, I've, I've, been, I've seen them going for, like, half their original price. Oh, yeah. Ten years ago. Yeah, I... Um, but, yeah, I mean, you could buy second-hand ones. I've seen Did you manage going. to sell it, by the way? We'll, we'll, we'll find out. We'll find out about that in about seven days. <laughs> Sunday, uh, I'm thinking one. to myself, I'm just going to try and sell my uh, graphics to have a really cheap to a student or something like and that. Just and just get a Cintiq? Get a Cintiq? Yeah, I've already got one. Oh, right. Yeah. Are you thinking about selling it? Uh, no, 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 not my Cintiq. Yeah, I think it's always worth like holding on to that little graphics tablet for when you're traveling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it saved my life a couple of times. But yeah. you, you can get you can get super small ones. Yeah, I've got no, I've got a small. So that's a that's an interesting thing is that um, you you've now moved into uh, working digitally, mm. and is that because you've moved into the London industry? <laughs> I always wanted to shift. To digital, but working in Japan, like the thing is, as an animator, like nobody's very technical. Some people are really technically good, but in terms of IT wise, yeah, it's um, funny. Two D animation has become such a so much about art. I it's it, it's it's a weird thing because I think that two D animated that animation started out being about technology. A lot yeah. of original, a lot of the originators of animation yeah. were. You know, people like Up Iwerks, who yeah, I think yeah. invented the multi-plane camera, mm. was a guy who was just like hanging out in a shed and like inventing stuff. And then he, he like made Mickey Mouse, and then he made a multi-plane camera, and he was like yeah. switching between drawing and and technology. Mm. And I, I feel like for three D, it's a little bit more of that kind of like mm. melding of the two mm. um, skills. But I think two D has, in the last whatever however many decades, gone mm. in the direction of being a lot more about art. Uh, and, and people, do you think it's an excuse? Yeah, <laughs> I think it is. I, it's I totally, actually think it is because yeah, yeah. I think that the level of um, I think the the level of uh, tech savviness that you need to be able to work um, in a digital environment is pretty limited. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I don't, I don't, I'm not a technical person. Like anybody who's um, you know like uh, had to show me how to use a television or something can attest to that. Mm. And like I'm you know I know my way around. A few pieces of software and stuff. I'm not. I'm not a technical person, but you know, I can. I can operate as a freelancer in various mm. different <coughs> software packages and stuff. And 
I, I definitely think it's like crazy actually because it's not even really old enough to kind of like the you know the yeah working like 2d animation isn't even yeah. old enough for it to be such a heritage i mean when i mean what it was the, the first 32 or something yeah, yeah. it's I not even 100 years that, or something yeah. like that's that. when snow white i think came out yeah that was yeah. the first animated feature film uh, it's crazy yeah it's so crazy. yeah people are like you know sticking to their guns and they're sticking to these kind of like mm. um ancient traditions which are only <laughs> yeah, like fifty years old, <laughs> no, like eighty years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, the fact that the, the people doing it wouldn't have been even working in it for fifty yeah. years or whatever. But yeah, um, so it's. Um, it, I was mean, it? I always wanted to shift to digital because everybody says it's it's great because all the animators, for instance, some of the animators on the Illusionist has shifted to digital. Mm. And like Laurent, um, since which, they left the Illusionist. Yeah, since they left the Illusionist, and they said like it's really great, you know, you really can do um, what you want to do, um, what you did on paper and digital. And it, I've never been against it at all. I mean, people tend to think that I'm not shifting because I'm sticking to my goals. I'm not at all. If it's going to make my life easier, mm. then hell, <laughs> I'll take it. And how have you found working digitally on a Cintiq? Oh, great. I love it. Yeah, I'm definitely going to continue. I mean, I've already bought one, like I said, mm. and it's a good investment. I think I think it's one of the best investments I made as an mm. animator. Um, but it's one of those things that I would, I wouldn't have been able to get used to without working in an environment with right. people around me Other using it already. Using yeah. So sure. working in London has been great mm. because I'm always in the studio. And I just ask the people around me, like, mm. where, where is mm. this button or that button on mm. the software? Because it's usually getting used to the software that's yeah, really tricky, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. <clears throat> you, you say really tricky, like, everybody I know who's picked it up has taken a week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, like, they, they've they've held out for, like, 15 years and then they finally learned it in a week and it's like, fuck's sake, like... I know, it's like, I haven't... You know, I opened up TV Paint and I played about with it and I, like, I was like, oh, this is a little bit difficult or whatever. And then I've seen people who like hadn't used it, like now using it, and they're like producing really beautiful animation. Like movie. Peter Dodd, yeah, right? Who was massive. We're gonna interview him hopefully soon. But worked in two D most of his career. I, I don't and think that he was like particularly against. No, he wasn't to digital. He was no. somebody. He was somebody who was like very. He's a very open-minded guy. Very yeah, yeah. receptive for other things, um, but. Everywhere that he was working was requiring uh, mm. pencils and paper, and mm. he was, he, and he's he's incredible at, mm. uh, at doing that stuff. And I th I'm sure he still does jobs like that when they yeah, require yeah. him to yeah. do that. But he's um, he's done TV but he's, he's switched now. over recently, and mm. it's yeah. been uh, it's we been, we uh, switched over impressive. pretty much a similar time. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then we were sitting next to each other here at ETC. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's the worst person to be next to. Vice <laughs> versa. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he'd like, ask me a question and be like why would I know I've just switched. but I mean the, my point is is that like he can use I've never worked professionally on paper like, I've done a little bit of in between or whatever but um, I've never really worked professionally on paper and mm. he can use a software that I can't mm. you know what I mean like and, and so it doesn't week yeah exactly and it's, it's absolutely it's 100% proof that like yeah it's not a barrier at all you know? yeah. Anyway, so there's one thing that we really have to talk about, I guess, uh, which is working at Studio Ghibli. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I feel like we talked about a lot of other stuff for the last hour, yeah. seven minutes, but we haven't talked about working at Studio Ghibli. Um, 
how did you uh, how did you get a job working at Studio Ghibli? Um, so I was working for Mama and Costa at that point, and then uh, how did it happen? That was on Wolf Children. That was on Wolf Children, but did I go to Studio Ghibli before that? I can't remember exactly what I was. Was it through maybe, Daisuke maybe was, that you got the job? No, it was totally different. Um, I went to Studio Ghibli, I went to visit the studio, um, and then basically... Ah, okay. So it was A. Inoue, who's the animation director of The Return of the Cats. He, I met him quite earlier on when I moved to Japan, because he was supposed to start on uh, The Dreaming Machine, the Satoshi okay. Kon's film. And so therefore, uh, I met him a few times over drinks and stuff like that. And he was working at Ghibli at that point on, what's the Goro Miyazaki film? Um, uh, Tales of Mercy? No, Poppy Hill. Uh, up on Poppy Hill. Oh, up on Poppy Hill. Is that the that directed by Goro Miyazaki? And he was working on that at that point. And he came to visit me at Madhouse, actually, at that point. That's it. So I was still at Madhouse on my first job for Satoshi Kon. And he visited just to chat with the animation directors and all. And he came to my desk saying, oh, by the way, um, The Illusionist is screening at Ghibli. I was just like, what? They had distribution rights. Yeah, so Ghibli had bought uh, the distribution rights of The Illusionist and they had a screening for the Ghibli people at Studio Ghibli. Wow. And at that point, I hadn't seen the final render of the film anyway. Really? Yeah. You hadn't seen the final render of the film of The The Illusionist? Illusionist. Wow. We went to see it in Germany, but it didn't have the credits, so I hadn't seen, because I heard something's changed. Credits were the best bit. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> it was a blank, yeah. <laughs> blank black screen. And uh, basically I hadn't seen the film with the credits, so I said, oh, I haven't seen it, can you check out where I'm credited for? And he just says, oh, come along with me. And I just said, am I allowed to? And he says, yeah, sure. So I went to visit the studio, and then you know he was introducing me. He was showing me around the studio and said, "Oh, I worked on the Illusionist," and everybody was oh, really? just like, "Wow!" Really, that's and cool. So I saw the film with the Ghibli crew. So you, so you played the exotic character. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I did in yeah. Japan. Yeah. Uh, how 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 did it go down there? Did they like it? Um. Yeah, everybody thought it was beautiful. Really. I thought, yeah, it did. It went down quite They're well. Very in Japan. Did you? Yeah. What did what did Miyazaki think of it? He hadn't seen it. Oh, he wasn't there for the screening of it? Uh, he doesn't really watch films. Oh, he doesn't? Uh, not that oh. I know of. Okay. And, but Takata. Yeah. He, he's the one who kind of, I think, made the decision to buy uh, okay. it. Okay, he's the, the director of like... Uh, My Grey, name is the Yamadas. Yeah, Grave of the Fireflies. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, and soon after that, I think, I went to visit him. And then... You went to visit? Takata. Okay. And then we spoke for a couple of hours, I think. Really? He was, he was just like, oh my okay. god, you worked on The Illusionist, wow, wow, wow. So, so are you the only person like, who's really made the transition between Europe and Japan in terms of animation? There's a lot of French guys who've made okay. the transition. Oh yeah, recently. There's, did, but they haven't, maybe haven't worked on... I, mean, I, I know there's a couple of guys who've gone at... What was that but dude who worked on Kit Kart? Uh, yeah, uh, Aymeric... Calvin, something like that. Yeah. What's that? Uh, oh, anyway, yeah. Ah, okay. Yeah. 
Um, USA, yeah. But there, there are some people, but uh, during, uh, to be honest, the Europeans who come to Japan sometimes just want to try it, like a working holiday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah they yeah. try it out for a few years and they go back okay. and experience it and that's it. Or else they're 100% in Japan and that's all that they've done. So there are, so there are people from outside Japan working in Japan? Oh, permanently. quite a lot. Oh, yeah. right. I had absolutely no idea about mm. that. Okay. I met quite a few of them. Okay. Um, and they work and they speak Japanese and they're working yes. in the industry. And, how and a lot of the then? times they have, you know, married in Japan as well. Oh, so that's how they can stay in the country. And work. Well, not always. Uh, studios do provide visas. Really? Okay. Yeah. I guess that's one of the things that uh, you must get asked a lot is like, is it possible to get a job in Japan if you're coming from outside Japan? And, and how, I how think much it's, work is it? It is doable, um, it's perfectly doable, but you have to be prepared to be, you have to be prepared to be poor. Right. Ridiculously poor, like you won't be able to pay your rent at the beginning. So Why you'll be... Because you're not getting enough work or that it doesn't No, there's enough. a lot of work, but uh, for instance a TV series, you, you'll probably start on a TV series, right? Yeah. And, um, and you need to speak Japanese? Um, yes. But some studios are quite generous. Generous if they think you're worth it, they'll bring in a translator. Oh wow! Okay. Um, and but I know a few guys. But you will eventually have to pick it right, up. Yeah. Um, and it's really, really difficult. And that's even though there are some foreign people in Japan working in the animation industry, there's very little people. There's very few people mm. working because you have to learn how to read and write. Right. Because you have to write instructions in your animation, oh, and you yeah. have to be able to read storyboards, which are handwritten mm. with a lot of slangs as well. Oh right. Yeah. So it it becomes really uh, tricky. Um, but it is perfectly doable uh, if you want to give it a go. But I mean, if you're working on a TV series, a TV series only pays what twenty to thirty uh, thirty pounds per scene. Wow. Holy <laughs> and then, and the schedule is basically if you if you can't you, you need to produce about fifty to seventy scenes a month. That's the schedule of a TV <laughs> you're, series. You're like you wouldn't be able to pay your rent. So I that would, I that mean that's cover my, my, my bills, my coffee. <laughs> that that's <laughs> why I couldn't work into I haven't worked yeah. into TV series right, okay. because I I just couldn't keep up with the schedule. Yeah. And people say, oh no, don't worry, you'll find it easy because you know it's just a held cell. And I'm like, I've seen well, some great TV animation and stuff. Uh, well, the thing is, again, like what I said, you get a bunch of sequences and then mm. it, you kind of balance it out. Yeah. You know, you, you make sure that you're making money with these hell cell scenes and when it moves, that's where you spend money. Right, yeah, yeah. For your own fun. But the thing is, I don't want to draw hell cells. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm an animator, yeah. so why should I go into the TV series mm. when I can work in feature films which pay reasonably mm. well? Yeah. And a, a feature film, I'd say, per shot, it depends, but it can pay up to £200 per scene. Really? Okay. But that's a really good good one. Yeah. But if you're on a contract, you it's more comfortable, I'd say. So, uh, come back to uh, work, working at Ghibli. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Uh, no, it's okay. No, no, that's all right. It's it's just, just, uh, I'm just looking at the clock and we've... We've done an hour and 15 minutes. There was that whole bit where you went to the toilet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we cut that out. Yeah. You I'm can gonna cut have, a lot out. I'm going to have to learn to control the bladder in the future. Um, 
uh, yeah, Ghibli. So you started working. Uh, so, you, um, so, yeah. so you went and met. So uh, I visited uh, the Isel studio, Takahata. and so, and then I went on to Wolf Children, and then when I was at Wolf Children, uh, I received a contact from production assistant at Studio Ghibli saying, uh, "We're now working on Miyazaki's latest film. Would you be available? We would uh, very much like to meet you." Blah blah blah. And then I went to visit the studio, checked out the storyboards, and then they offered me the job. I showed them my showreel, uh, they offered me a job, and then I was just like, so I'm on Wolf Children now, so after Wolf Children I'll join you guys. That was it. Wow. And, and it was through recommendations within the studio. Right. Like people who knew me, like, because the animation director for uh, Dream Machine. Right. Uh, for Satoshi Kon's film, mm. was in as an animator, so he put a, in a recommendation for and, me. And you were working directly with Miyazaki? Yeah, well, like all animators do. Okay. So, yeah. Mm. And was that like a. I mean, because you said that he. You cited him as someone who uh, influenced you greatly, and even to get into the industry. That must have been such the dream come true to, to work with as the person who got you into uh, it. It was exciting, but. Do, had your professional hat on, kind of thing. I don't know. My dreams, like my beautiful dreams as an animator, got absolutely destroyed at Django. I think it's not like <laughs> I had a, I had a bad experience or something yeah, like yeah. that. It's just that when when it yeah, does yeah. become your job, yeah, yeah, it's just your it, job. It's a job, mm. you know. I think there's something about animation as well, which is uh, it's a bit of a magic trick. Yeah, uh, and whenever you see how a magic trick is done, it's not quite as much fun. Yeah, yeah. like the day-to-day -day life of doing mm, animation yeah. is, um, I mean, like quite a lot of the time, it's quite you really question why the fuck you started doing yeah, this yeah. thing because there's people who are, um, you know, fashion photographers and uh, I don't know, ice cream tasters and things <laughs> oh, <laughs> in the world. Ice cream. Yeah, but yeah. even I bet there's a podcast somewhere where ice cream tasters are going like, <laughs> I hate oh, ice cream. I love show me a vanilla like fucking. Um, yeah. But it's, I mean, like, even just the, like, you know, on your CV that's on the couch there, you worked on a Miyazaki film, and that's, I mean, it must be like a huge kind of point in your career, no? To have sort of um, done that? Yeah. I mean, the work's really different because the level's very high. Was so it intimidating when you first went in, first day at work? I find every job that I go into first day intimidating. Yeah, that, you you never show it. I know I that's funny say, because like everybody says I was, that. I was like, always I was always really impressed. Like I've seen you. Uh, I've worked with you in a couple of different jobs, and uh, quite quite a lot of the time, quite like male macho environments. And I always see you step up to the plate every time. <laughs> yeah. I get my guns out. Yes, yeah, and there's some guns yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, I get my weights out and start pumping them whilst I'm working. So, what was like day one uh, at Studio Ghibli? What, what you, you went and sat down with me, Zaki, and had a. Yeah, chat. so it starts off with the scene casting meeting. So, I give, I'm given my storyboards uh, of the part that I'm going to take on. And then uh, it was like, okay, so you're scheduled, your meeting is scheduled at 11 o'clock, so mm. you sit down with him and then go through the scenes and then he'll explain what he wants and how he wants his part to be and how significant that part is in the film. And then that goes on for a few hours and then, well, that one went on for an hour, I think. Wow, that's quite... 
it's a, yeah, that's amazing because like I mean, I've never, I don't think I've ever spent an hour on the whole. Like if you was to tally up all the time you spent with a director on a commercial, since probably, you started your career, yeah, <laughs> probably wouldn't tally up to more than a couple but of hours. I've worked some jobs where I haven't even met the director. The, the one thing that's so yes. important in working in Japan is these scene casting meetings. Right. Okay. Um, my, the one that I did with Hosoda took four hours. Really? Seriously, it was like I couldn't believe he was going on. I was just like, I was so tired after the second because you're trying to absorb all this information and you're taking notes like mad. Yeah. And um, after two hours, I was quite tired and he was still going on. And this on. is just you and him, or is this is uh, with other people? You well? and me, what's that? And then the animation director is always there. The assistant director is always there. Oh, but there, it's just you as the animator. It's only mm. with one animator. Wow. And the production assistants will be taking notes, and then there's another production assistant usually with all the um, model sheets and giving you all the references and stuff like that, making sure that you've got everything. Mm. It's very organised, these scene casting meetings. I think that's what makes a huge difference in the Japanese animation industry, mm. that it gets all sorted there. Yeah. So once you... <coughs> There's no way you could ever animate a shot and they'll be like, oh, that wasn't what I was talking about. Sometimes the director will just change, change his, his mind. mind. Okay, yeah. But then yeah, that's the not your the, fault. The lines of communication are always <coughs> clear. Yeah. Mm, that's great, yeah, yeah. Um, and we, I, I know we're sort of going back a bit, but you, you was working back to like your first job there, but um, you were working on Dream Machine, which was... Uh, Satoshi Kon's uh, is incomplete the film now, right? Yeah, well, while Star was there, he passed away. So um, that was because I started, I think, soon after New Year's. Mm. And then I went over to Japan in April. Mm. And then he passed away in August. But I, so I, uh, the last month he wasn't able to come to work. But like, it, this in his death, it was, I mean, we kind of heard about it here, and it was like, I remember in, uh, in France there was like a whole exhibition about his death, and I think it, it kind of did have a kind of, an, I don't know how much of an effect, but it, a lot of people were upset by it here, and he mm. might not even be that much of a kind of household name amongst animators. I mean, although people are aware of it if you're into anime, but how did that affect the industry in Japan? I think the, the industry was shook, yeah, obviously. Yeah. The industry was really like, whoa. Because he was quite young, he was still in his 40s. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he, he, I mean, animation directors go on for quite a while in Japan. They direct well into their 60s. Look at me, I was like, he's 70, and then Takata's reaching 80 now. 80, really? Yeah. Wow. And seriously, he doesn't look 80 though. <laughs> Still got black hair. Really? He doesn't even dye it, apparently. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that old chestnut. <clears throat> but um, it, it was quite a shock. But basically, it just couldn't be complete without the director. Right. No money, so it was just shut down. And then I was like, oh, where do I go now? And um, that's when you started working on Wolf Children. Yeah, I mean, I had planned to... Uh, the thing about Japan is that if your name isn't in the credit of a completed film or TV series, then how are you going to be recognised? So nobody... Oh, yeah, yeah. I, mean, you, I suppose you couldn't show that kind of footage to anyone. Well, there's no showreel kind of okay. way of working. It's all yeah. about your CV. Because I've seen these things, that, is it Mad or something? Yeah, but those aren't made by the animators. That's made by they, fans. That's made by and how, fans. But quite, um, yeah, okay. Right. How do they find who's done what when they made those fan showreels? 
Um, big fans, basically. People who recognise the style or who heard. But sometimes it's wrong. Oh, really? Mm. <laughs> I've noticed. I was like, ah, you got it wrong then. That was my scene. Because mm. there's, um, there's a fan-made um, Wolf Children clip with who did an animated what scene. Oh, yeah. And sometimes they've got it wrong with my scenes. So I was just like, I didn't animate that, but I'll take it because it's really good. <laughs> oh, really? So someone has done it for your shots? Um, yeah, for Wolf Children. And they're beautiful, actually. I was, I, mean, I was watching the film as well, but I was looking at your um, your sequence, uh, your sequences, and so good, so yeah. nice. So it's, there's some some of the better bits I think in the film. Are, really? Are in there. Yeah. Yeah. I, actually, my favourite bit in 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 the whole of that film, and uh, I haven't watched the whole of the film. I got about. Ninety-five percent of the way through it before we just the credits. Uh, yeah. Why <laughs> did Why did you suddenly stop there? You didn't. You uh, I, I think I fell asleep. <laughs> oh God! Are I, you I, kidding? I it was just purely because it was like one o'clock in the morning and I'd been up since seven. <clears> but, yeah. um, I, I thought it was excellent. I thought it was really really good. Um, and uh, um, one of the best think, bedtime stories you've ever watched. <laughs> <laughs> one of the weirdest nightmares I've ever had. Um, but. Uh, but there was some really, really good animation in that yeah. as well. I mean, there was oh, obviously some people on that who were really... All the animators there were good. I think the main animators, the full-time animators, there's only about 10 animators on that. Wow. And there's another maybe 5 to 10 animators who did a little bit of freelancing, who came in just for a few weeks or something like that. Wow. Uh, I like, it's I really a very like, small team. I really like the scene where... Um, she, she's having an argument with that boy at school. Oh, yeah. uh, and they're going down the stairs. Yeah. Uh, that's that's a bloody good animator, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. He's yeah, like twenty four. Really, oh, yeah. but that scene, like that, it's it's weird because you see, like I think that like knowing now that it's it's split up sequentially in, mm. in anime, I start I'll 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 see like a good bit of animation and then suddenly my. You know, mm. I'll be I'll be very aware of everything that yeah. comes after that because yeah, yeah. I know that there's probably some other good stuff mm. coming up yeah, yeah, yeah. after that. And 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 that and there was there was a couple of bits of animation where I was like, wow, that's really subtle. Mm. You know, because especially considering it's such a low frame rate, like mm. it just had such a sense of weight, or it had mm. such a sense of uh, I, I don't know, a little glance or something mm. that was very that I'd never seen before. Mm. Uh, and 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 that bit was especially good. Who who was it who did that? Who, which one? Who did that sequence that I was just talking about? Oh. Going stairs. Is that when they can, but he's so chasing her. We can, we can put it in the, in the yeah. notes later on. Ah, oh, it was a really young animator. Oh, we, 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 we. I've forgotten his name. I'll send you an email. Is, is that the bit where she, they have the sort of fight? They have a bit of an argument. Right, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And he's, and she's not talking to him. And, <clears throat> yeah, 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 that's a really He was there for, he was at the studio for about, about five, six months, and he finished about 50 scenes. Right. Oh my gosh. Yeah. All so he's just pure talent. That's such a rough way of explaining something. Pure talent. I don't. But that, I mean, he's been working for quite. He's a real. The thing is, he's really young, but he's very experienced. That's when do people start? Quite young. Yeah. Like a lot of them start in their teens. Teen. What? Yeah. Professional. Like Eighteen. Oh, right. Okay. Like as an in betweener, straight after high school. Or some people will go to animation schools, which are like two years, mm. so maybe 20 or so. Okay. So, like, for me to say I started when I was 21 is a little bit later, maybe. But nowadays it's not that rare because 
a lot of art college students, a lot of animators are from art college nowadays. Mm. So how many people in the Japanese animation industry do have done live drawing, for example? I think um, I think these animation schools and animation colleges, they, oh no, I don't think so, they definitely do it, but it's definitely not considered as, as important, I'd say. The, um, I think the thing I kind of got from, um, <clears throat> I mean, I, I went to uh, Japan recently and, and the one thing I just found like just incredible was that they're like here you can't really if you wanted to teach yourself I suppose with the internet now you can kind of look for it and that but there's just such an abundance of books you can just buy and like I was out there trying to find specific kind of books and we me and Wes were going to like the comic shops because that's where you would find them here and we couldn't find any of the books we wanted in the comic shops and the places we found them were just like the regular bookstores stores yeah but like like, it's funny because you go to um kind of a regular kind of stationery shop yeah. if you well not a regular one if you go to a big stationery shop yeah. you can find peg bars yeah oh my god I went to an art Animation store in, peg bars I went to like... an art store in Shinjuku right uh, no yeah in Shinjuku and I, I, it was is that one... Sekaido uh, yes yes, yeah, yes, yes that's the big a good one, one yeah and I, uh, <clears throat> I I pointed that out to Lydia I was I was going oh my god look at all this stuff and then I was like they've got peg bars you can yeah. just buy peg bars here really standardly like they were next to like the sharpeners yeah and, like, and, yeah, the, and the pencils yeah and and also they have a really comprehensive um light box yeah but like like a little library of all different <clears throat> uh techniques of really good books on all sorts of principles and animation and, and then there's the there's the screen tones aisle yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and it's I, funny because that i i thought that by the time that i went back to japan this time they'd be gone because everything's on Photoshop and then you mm. can get software or something, you can get yeah. filters, but they're still there. I was just yeah. like, whoa, there's still a market for that? So I think if you want to teach yourself that like, that the resources <clears throat> are there like and easy to get and they're not just like but I some rubbish think... book on animation. You can get like like that, that Wicked Ghibli book, which is just like all the layouts, you know, like yeah. you can really learn if you want to. There's no excuses. But I, I still think there You've is. You've got to pay for it, though. I mean, that's, that's yeah, but it's cheap. I mean, like a book exactly. here of, with that kind of information, if it was imported from Japan, you'd pay 60 quid over there. It's like 13 pounds or something. Okay, all right, yeah, yeah. But I still think there isn't a single good how to animate book in Japan. That's been out have, have people read like the animated survival kit? Is that yeah, I think that's. Yeah. I think that's still even in Japan considered. I think because uh, I went to Japan and I went to the Ghibli Museum, <clears throat> uh, and they had. I think it was the translation of the Illusion of Life. Yes, yeah. and it's a better format. It's square and it's smaller. And I was <laughs> like, oh, I um, wish they made it When like I that was interpreting uh, at the Hiroshima Animation Festival, uh, Richard Williams was the guest, and that was when he was promoting. Oh, the animated right, survival kit, Japanese version. Yeah, version. And I, I still don't think there's anything as good as that. Why hasn't Miyazaki written one? Surely he, surely that's the next thing that he should do. But he's so Make like, but even like, I think he does. I think really he, what he'll do is like release a book on how to draw planes and pigs. How to draw strong female protagonists. But even like, I think he's really into helping educate like, like we went to the Ghibli yeah, museum yeah, yeah. and like you can touch stuff and you can flip through mm. the Ghibli <laughs> museum is an amazing 
Yeah, I, but like I, you know, to be able to like grab a stack of rough animation and flip, flip through, through it, it like thing, I, yeah. I, I, I mean, I got that feeling that I'd been. To, it's funny because we went to Disneyland Tokyo, and I know it's a theme park or whatever, and that, and it's just such a plasticky like you can't learn anything there apart from just how to lose money, and then, <laughs> uh, and you go to you know the Ghibli Museum. Okay, it's a museum or whatever, but I like I went in there and I learned stuff definitely. All right, so we yeah. we it's nearly ten o'clock. Okay, oh, oh shit. Yeah, yeah. So um, we should wrap it. Uh, we should probably start wrapping up. Mm. So uh, I so when so when we were in university, um, I uh, I remember I was looking around for new stuff, and that was right when the Animatrix came out, mm. and I was absolutely enchanted by the Animatrix. Yeah. It was like individual <coughs> creators who um, created these created these really um, you know a bunch of really unique pieces that were obviously like really finely crafted and based on based on years of tradition um, but they were really sensitive pieces of filmmaking as well mm. um, and uh, and I kind of felt like from, from where I was standing at that point um, after the Animatrix there was in terms of what I was seeing there was some really interesting stuff especially from like a graphically different perspective mm -hmm. um, coming out of Japan, you had um, Take On Kingcrete, you had mm. all the Studio 4C stuff that was yeah, being yeah. done. Um, and uh, I mean... Even you know, that you section that was in the, the, the Kill Bill first film? Yeah. Mm. yeah. Was that 4C that did that? Or was that no, that was production IG. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, some of the production IG stuff that was in done. And um, I mean, even like you were talking about the animation director, at director on Return of the... Oh, it's a good yeah, the cat returns. Was that yeah. what it's called? Well, um, yeah, I, I thought that that was even like a, like a little bit stylistically different from stuff mm. that I'd seen before. It seemed like there was a bit more kind of um, variation and stuff. Um, and I kind of feel like there was this there was this period that was like super creative in Japan and was quite experimental visually. I haven't seen so much stuff like that recently. There's it's that motherfuckers like, film that's coming out, isn't it? What's that? Motherfuckers. No. Is that Japanese? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were talking about it. Um, it's being made at 4C. It's that French oh, comic. Uh, isn't it called Motherfuckers? The guy with I, the black head. I was, oh, okay. But it's spelled differently. Mutafukas. That's how. They yeah, you just said it in a Japanese. <laughs> yeah, I know, yeah, but yeah. that's how they said it at the street. Right, right, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Uh, yeah, that, I mean that's coming out and that looks really okay. like. Yeah, I but, really wanted to work on that. But but, but where's the uh, like where's the Japanese animation industry going now? Is it going like you know upwards, onwards and upwards into the future, or is it kind of you know trailing off? What do you think? I mean, uh, the Mamoru Hosoda films I know were quite um, successful. Yeah, I mean. To a mainstream audience. Yes, and I I think that's. An, I think that's a really good thing that uh, he does appeal to a gen like the general public instead mm. of yeah. anime geeks kind of thing. The thing is, I like working for Hosoda because my parents watch it and they love it. Right. Yeah, you yeah. know. They're great stories. I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And just piece of filmmaking. They're they're just not you know self-absorbed and you know. Mm. I think in a way they're kind of. Um, they're entertainment films, I think. Yeah, I think that, that, like, they, they remind me a bit. Of, like, I think they remind me a bit of like True Blood and. Uh, but I think Twilight it, and stuff in a way like it's that same kind of. It's that it's that genre, but I feel a like human falling in love with a werewolf. 
But see, when it started, I was like, oh my god, this is, oh, I hate this kind of thing. But then it's actually, the problem is really human. It's just someone who has to protect their right, children yeah. and like, and that's the, for me that it, like I found really engaging and yeah. and this is mother struggling at all these different stages as they grow up and um, which is you know you could tell the story like that about kids who weren't it's just that they were and those the fact that they were half did you cry no <laughs> but like <laughs> Sam I haven't watched all of it yet <laughs> I got to about eighty percent I got to the bit where there's like the massive storm <clears throat> happening okay um, that's exactly where I got yeah, to I know it's really bad. But, um, I mean, there's no, the thing is, there's no stop in the demand for animation in Japan. Like, mm. people want to see, there's so much demand for it. Mm. And you look at the Evangelion films, I mean, you just think, how many times have they done this? Mm. And yet, they're making so much. They are really? so successful. It's more successful than Wolf Children. Wow. I think that makes something like... Um, 60 million box There's, uh, like and how much do they cost to make do you know I mean I don't know but I mean but it's sort of rough, like for instance budget I think a feature film budget can vary from 1 million to if you've got five 1 million, million yeah, for a feature film yeah sometimes wow. yeah that is Definitely. Brilliant. I've worked on adverts that so cost that. It's yeah. what happens when you charge people 30 quid a scene. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, um, but it varies up to uh, kind of, you know, I'd say six million is quite a luxury um, yeah, for a general I, studio. But I mean, Jubilee obviously pays more. Pays more. Um, dollars, sorry. Okay. US dollars. Uh, so six Jubilee. million dollars is a pretty. <clears throat> Good rate for a. That's a really bonkers. Because I I watched. Because um, Godfather's is two million or three million. I think. No, it's more wow. than that. Because I watched the in, I watched the making of that recently, and they were citing it as like one of the most um, expensive feature films made in Japan. But what? even then, it was still really cheap. It was like, it was like thirteen million dollars or something like it was that. Less than that. I don't really? Know why oh, that must be including advertising then. Yeah, maybe in maybe with the cast as well, paying mm. the cast or whatever. But well, I remember them that's talking. usually included in the budget, and that's where it all goes. I, I could be wrong, but I remember like I remember whatever the figure was. I remember in the interview with him, uh, with Satoshi Kon, it was one of the points they talked about. They were like, "Oh, this is quite an expensive um, animated feature," and I remember thinking, "Whoa, that doesn't sound like a lot at all." It's not a lot mm. Yeah. Um, right. Uh, I think, I've been, I think I've exhausted my, uh, <laughs> my questions. But uh, yeah, I mean, the thing is, Japanese films are, there's a high demand within the anime industry and the anime fans and the general public. The general public watch animation yeah. like on a normal basis. Yeah. So. There's no stop in terms of what's going to be produced, the amount that's going to be produced. Mm. Um, and the thing is, people don't want to see... Because, I mean, it's a healthy Wolf, industry. Wolf, Wolf Children was released on the same day as Brave, Pixar's Brave. And, it, and it, Wolf Children had half the number of cinemas, and it did better. Wow. In the same weekend, I think it did 300% or something like that. Wow. And, you know, people prefer to watch 2D films. Um, by far, I think. People love 3D films, don't get me wrong, as well, mm. in Japan. Um, Toy Story did great, but 
that doesn't stop people watching 2D films at I, all. I was talking to someone who was <coughs> working out there and she was working for Disney, um, for the, I don't know, might be, must be their channel, their distribution team there. And she was saying that like Western films that come over, uh, they're successful, <coughs> but they're successful for the merchandise. So like you go over there and you might see loads of people with like Mike Wazowski on their hats or bags or jackets or keychains, but they probably haven't seen the film or like SpongeBob is massive in Japan, but no one actually watches the show. Yeah, I think uh, you get that. I mean, there was a period where they had uh, all the Tech on King Crete T-shirts in Uniqlo. Yeah, people were saying that. Yeah, most people wearing them. But yeah, no, but people. But like when you go to, but people really like. And there's a difference between some guy just buying a t-shirt from Uniqlo or something. Because it really looks cool, but they don't know what it is. But Jap in Japan, people know what it is. But they, they just haven't seen it. But they just haven't seen they're it. Not they like it a, they're just absolutely not interested in watching right. it. Uh, and <clears throat> I think that is like really interesting because I think in the West, people think, oh, Japan, they're so open. They just, adults watch animation and read comics. and But then actually, they're from what I was talking with Hanai is that they're kind of not open because they're only open if it's Japanese and they're not that open to mm. to you know 3D productions or western productions it is a fashion now in Japan like let's the whole I think Japanese films are you know doing really well at the moment mm. <coughs> before people just didn't watch Japanese films at all they'd watch Hollywood films but it's become really popular to watch Japanese films because a lot of Japanese films are based on comic books nowadays. It, you mean in Japan? Yeah. Oh, right, yeah. Japanese films have never been that popular in Japan? No. Really? For a while it wasn't. It was really dead, the live-action scene. Mm. And then it was all Hollywood-dominated, but now it's kind of it's kind of having this kind of renaissance kind of thing. Yeah, it's funny because how many Hollywood films are just Japanese remakes anyway, like... Yeah. Even Old Boys has been. Did really they release the <coughs> Ring, the American version of the Ring? Yeah. In Japan. Yeah. yeah. Did it, I'm it, sure did it, well. it did do well. I don't think so. <laughs> Why would it? <laughs> Here's your film, but just not as good. <laughs> uh, okay. We should probably wrap this yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. It's, been, home. it's uh, been great. Yeah, oh, man, so I'd love to do round two of this or something. Yeah, yeah. It's round two. Round two. Yeah. Maybe we could, yeah, but we've got enough for two podcasts here anyway. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Um, okay. But yeah, thanks so much, I, for talking it's to us. Okay. Yeah. I don't think yeah. we round it up rounded it up very well, but oh well. No, <laughs> that's kind of the vibe of this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Alright, thanks everyone. Bye. Bye. Cool. Take Thank care. You. Bye. Bye bye.